HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meat and 3, we celebrate good news in the food world, from record-setting butter sculptures to the latest discoveries in crop cultivation. I think it was back in 2015. It was 2,370 pounds, and it was a Paris landscape. And so that became the Guinness World Record butter sculpture. We don't understand everything about the world. So plant breeding also lets us work with all the unknown, maybe discovered along the way. And we hear from the beloved chef and disaster relief organizer, Jose Andres. Well, World Central Kitchen, we're an organization that we like to be the first ones on the ground. And more often than not, we are the last ones on the ground. Tune in to Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm. You look a I'm little li- tired. I am. I am. I'm living. <laughs> I'm riding on adrenaline in a dream right now. Um, I was on a mega bus about 90 minutes ago, uh, working on you know a good like 120 minutes of sleep uh, for the night. I was down in D.C. I was actually supposed to get back in last night, but uh, the Washington Nationals, aka America's team, aka uh, the baseball team from Washington D.C. Um, had a chance to and eventually did clinch a spot to go to the World Series last night. So I was like, I can't. But not. they go they go all the time, right? Oh no, no, they have not been since 1933. So this is <laughs> and I and I realized this last night. I was like, I'm going to bring this up on the show today. So um, this will be the third time the World Series has been in D.C., but it will be the first time that Washingtonians will be able to drink beer during the World Series because the other three times were all during Prohibition. What? Yeah. That's, that's a fascinating little tidbit. That is how long it's been. I can't imagine. You know, it's things you don't even think about. Like, I would have I would have assumed sports just went on hiatus during Prohibition because who wants to sit in the stadium and not exactly. have a beer? I know. It seems boring. Like, well, baseball is pretty boring to me in the first place. But <laughs> you're you not drinking a beer, dude. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a fascinating little piece to the puzzle. You didn't mention that off the air. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but so you stay. You were going to come home last night, but you decided to stay and party. Well, you were forced to, right? Because exactly. I know. I didn't. Team, I didn't want to. Your but team I had to. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. So it's a must. It's, and you were there at the stadium. I was there. I was watching at a bar across the street from the stadium. Wait, wait, wait. You traveled all the way there to not go to the stadium? I mean, I didn't have four hundred bucks lying around. I also went the night before, so you know, I didn't have a spare four hundred bucks lying around to go in. But uh, I was watching across the street. And it was funny because the broadcasts are on like a 15 second delay. I guess if the players accidentally swear, you know, of course, yeah. if they do, if they do the thing that we're allowed to do all the fucking time on the air, I uh, can't have that on TBS. Right. So we're watching it on the TVs and like behind us, we can hear the crowd. So like you'll be watching and you hear like, ah, and you're like, oh, some good's about to happen. You hear, ooh, and you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. So. Last out of the game, they're showing all the photos of like, you know, the stands of like all the fans looking tense and like watching through their fingertips. We're watching this on TV. Behind us, fireworks are going off and like we can hear people <laughs> screaming. So you're kind of looking back and forth like, 
I got a good feeling about where this is going. I think this is going to work out for him in the end. Yeah, 15 seconds later, they did it, man. World Series in D.C. How about that? Outstanding. Since 1933. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I guess it's about time they had a good season. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a minute. I know little, so little about baseball. Um, well, my, my week was been, has been pretty good. Uh, did some pretty cool stuff at the new Amori Amargo. Had a, had a tasting with Fred Jerbis uh, Amari and Seren over there last night. It was tons of fun. About 40 people showed up and drank some uh, unique new Amari that are new to the market. Um, and also, just a side note, uh, amid all the other things I've been doing, I finished a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wait a he. This guy told us about this five minutes ago in the I studio. I forgot, yeah. <laughs> Didn't even mention it. was like, oh, yeah, and by the way, he's like, what did I do this week? And that, uh, sort of forgot, yeah. Turned in the manuscript. Um, it's, good. it's called, uh, it's a ho- I wrote a holiday book, right? So ah. it's actually, it's going to be, for the first time ever, my publishing company is doing what's called POD, print on demand. So when you order this book, they'll print one and send it to you. It's not like there's going to be stacks of them sitting around. Um, it's got a lot of graphics, but no photos. Um, and it's a holiday book, and we called. Uh, I decided to call it "Let's Get Blitzen," uh, and <laughs> nice. you know the, the, the tagline is "Happy Alcohol Holidays." So they're all like Christmas-themed <laughs> drinks, drinks you can make in advance, punch bowls, etc. Um, and hopefully, we'll have it up online by the end of the week. Actually, so congratulations! And we'll man. have it uh, available all the way through the this holiday. This is like season. your hip hop holiday. Yeah, exactly. Album yeah. That you're Starbucks right. Christmas yeah. album. Yeah. yeah. So I think next I'll do like an Easter one and maybe a Halloween. I don't <laughs> know. Got to collab with <laughs> Arbor uh, Day. Martha Stewart at some point. Who knows? <laughs> Follow the we'll Snoop Dogg method. We'll get there. You know? Well, listen, I don't know <clears throat> anything, and, and, and admittedly, I don't know anything about sports, but our guest today knows plenty about at least one sport. Um, we got Justin Noel in here from uh, uh, Sweetwater Social. You're also the uh, trade advocacy manager. Did I get that right? Uh, yeah. Close enough? Close enough. Uh, for London Essence, which is a line of uh, sodas. You're also a brand rep for all kinds of brands. You're world traveler. You never sit still, uh, which I think is why you and I click so well. We're both busy all the time. Um, but you were a former professional football player? Yeah. Uh, soccer. Football meaning yeah, soccer yeah. in this case. Yeah. That's what I said. I think a lot of people who football, know me. Football. You got to like put that weird. position did Justin play football? <laughs> the kicker? Could have been. But that's uh, – a little while ago. How long ago was yeah, that? Yeah, it's almost a dec- uh, a lifetime ago. I'm 38 now, and I retired at 21. So what? Living yeah. off the 401k ever since, huh? Uh, well, I have my own 401k <laughs> now. But yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a while ago. I've let my body really kind of uh, absorb that uh, retirement <laughs> quite nicely. Who did you play for? Where were you? Uh, well, I played uh, for a couple teams. Uh, I played in England for a team called Blackpool. Uh, played in France for a team called Bordeaux. Uh, played in Italy for a team called Empoli, and then finished up my career playing in the Netherlands for a team called Harlem, which is a right outside of uh, Amsterdam. So, hmm. outstanding. You know, I mean, I think, I think it's. It, I love when we. So, you know, usually the first segment of the show is us talking about kind of who, who's in the room and what they've done in the past, right? That then we build up to who the hell are you, and then in the second half we talk about like what you do now. Mm-hmm. But I'm always fascinated about the things that I hear from different people. You know, and uh, this was. I, I think you're the first. You, these were professional teams you played for, right? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. the first professional athlete I think we've had on the show. Well, uh, I don't know if there's a like a ranking, a tote board. Yeah, yeah we'll, we we'll, we'll make that. one. <clears throat> we'll make um, one. You're now right the top. at the bar. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great thing about like this industry is, um, and the bartender industry, I should say, is that you know really everybody has a very unique story as to of how course. and why they're they're in this industry. And almost, I don't know, except for I think maybe some bartenders that exist nowadays, you know, who just come into the the occupation, um, I think everybody started off doing something else <laughs> before they decided, you know what, I'm going to get behind this bar and serve some drinks. Uh, and, and mine just happened to have been uh, sports related and um, very happy to, to have that opportunity. It's not a very, you know, it's not an opportunity that most people get to have, but uh, it definitely, I think, impacted me in a way that uh, provided me really good, like, context in terms of work ethic going forward once I moved into the, the bar industry itself so i think the people who succeed the best in in bar and hospitality are people who have some other chunk of their past that that led them to what you just said like a better work ethic a better you know uh, the ability to just speak to people i mean if you lived in all those different places you spoke to a lot of different people people's yeah you know what i mean so you're like uh, you know automatically sort of trained to then speak to whoever walks through the door right right and then the cool thing was is that being being overseas playing you know obviously you you grow up quite quickly. You, you embrace cultures quickly. You, you learn about cultures. You kind of have to if you want to if you want to survive in these places. If not, you you stranded and you don't eat and you just kind of like wander around. And this is pre pre cell phone pre smartphone days where 
if I wanted to talk to my parents, I had to buy like the the, the uh, international calling cards oh, and go card. To, yeah. yeah. So sure. I wasn't being able to like, hey uh, Siri, point me in the direction of a place where I can get some food. Um, <laughs> so there's that, but then also you know they they have different laws regarding alcohol. So you also embrace alcohol at a, at a younger age. Uh, but I was also able to start bartending during the off season to kind of really make some extra money and and stay in in the cities to train and. Um, you know, really, you you start to learn how drinking cultures in those countries uh, evolved and, and what they they hold true and how they drink. And um, I will say, it also helps you with the language a lot better as well because there's no better place than being behind a bar uh, when somebody comes up and orders something in Italian or Dutch, and you have to figure that out really quickly. And <laughs> right, because so there's do, a transaction to be made yeah, here. Yeah, it's not just like I can't understand that needs, this guy. Uh, yeah. hands. Yeah. So I mean, I remember like you know, and obviously Dutch is not a is not a language that's super <laughs> universal. And I remember like. My first day bartending in, in Holland at a nightclub, um, you know, some guy, was loud nightclub, you know, very noisy. A friend of a friend had got me the job and um, it was definitely one of those things where I'm like behind the bar and I'm just like ready for my shift. And like first customers come to the bar and this guy walks up and he orders like fear, like literally, the, you know, my Dutch is awful, by the way. So anybody who's listening and hears what I'm about to say is probably going to call in or write you guys an email. <laughs> like, That's awful. Um, but it was fear beer chase. And I just remember being like, what? And he ordered it again. And I literally turned to the guy next to me and I was like, Hey, um, you yeah. speak Dutch, right? And Are we gonna have to do this all yeah. night long? And he's, Jesus. Like, he's like, he was like, yes, yeah. I'm Dutch. I do speak <laughs> exactly. Dutch. And I was like, so, uh, he's saying fear beer chase. And the guy goes, Oh yeah, it means four beers. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a long, long night. Well, so but now you, you learned know the beer word chase for four and, and four. Beer. Beer. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, you, I imagine that a lot of it, you know, it's loud. So luckily, there's probably like a lot of pointing. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, pointing and, and this, and three fingers yeah. up, and those. Okay, yeah, which three was different those. than Great. my time in in London when when bartending, which was, you know, back then it was like just make it pink and sweet, and you're good. So it doesn't matter what they order. Throw some tins around, make it pink and sweet. Doesn't matter what they order, and you just give them, and they're they're happy. So it was, you know, part of the evolution of bartending was going from pink to sweet to, to a peak. Pink and sweet to uh, four beers in Dutch, you know. So. Yeah. So, wh- wh- where are you from that that led you to be a professional soccer player all over the world? Um, you, you don't sound like you're from any of the places you listed. <laughs> Definitely not. No. <laughs> uh, so I, I am from the U.S. I know it's a crazy thing. Soccer players come from the U.S. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I was born and raised in New York and Georgia. Uh, I was very lucky. Georgia, the state, not the country. Um, my parents. Uh, my, I was born in Atlanta. Where are you from in Georgia? Uh, Athens. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I was born here and then moved to Georgia when I was 12. And my dad uh, had a law firm in Georgia. So we we relocated down there. And um, yeah, spent a good chunk of time in the South. And um, my dad played soccer. My mom's uh, family is Italian. So soccer was a big part of my brother and I's life. And uh, I guess just the one sport that we really gravitated towards because um, you can play it in relatively uh, confined spaces as well as in big open yeah, spaces. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't require a lot of equipment. Yeah, so, like, you know, when you're growing up and you're you a got kid, a ball, you're good. Yeah. And you're growing up as a kid, like, and you got a brother who's, like, relatively close to you in age, you can just, you know, you're, you're, you're going to kick something. You're either going to kick them or you're going to kick a ball. <laughs> so we decided to kick a ball together and um, yeah, we were able to play it in, 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 story, you know, in, in Astoria and then we very happy that our parents uh, were big fans of the sport because my dad had me and my brother playing at the ages of like four uh, in competitive like you know under four under five you know I wouldn't say it's competitive leagues but you know had us playing and then um, yeah just very lucky to I guess be blessed with some natural talents that uh, when we when we made the opportunities uh, provided to us to you know either join X and Y teams that would have allowed us to get to the next level um we took advantage of them, and we were able to we were able to showcase our skills and in, in, in certain tournaments, which gave us exposure. To, oh, was it were you like playing for high school or no? No, so I mean, club football club is a football, big yeah. uh, thing. So in the U.S., like you know, because we don't really have a lot of professional teams, especially at this time, we had none um, that were of any good or any quality. You didn't have like youth teams. So usually in this country, uh, youth programs and traveling teams are kind of the way that you get exposed to soccer in this country uh you 
you know, it's kind of a pay to play situation in this country, which is different than most countries. So you, you sign up to be part of an organization, you try out, you get on the team and then your parents get a bill for like X amount of dollars (laughs) regarding like your, your uniform, your travel fees, the, the organizational fees and all that stuff. And, um, you know, if you're really good, you get to pay more money because then you get getting opportunities to play for better, better teams, which they can charge you more and more dollars. So it's a it's a very Easy. backward system in this country because obviously in most countries if that has uh, soccer and football, that's a uh, usually a poor person sport. Most of the talent comes from the the poor um, financial brackets of, of their cultures. But uh, there, if you're really good. Teams they want you, <laughs> yeah. They sign you, and then they provide you with your living and your food and your uniforms and your training for no cost because they, they want a good player, right? Yeah, they invest in you, and they hope that you're going to come good for them, or if not, they sell you for money, and then they're, they're very happy. So, <laughs> but yeah, in this country, it's a little bit different. And again, anyway, you you made it. You went through all I those did, yeah. trials and tribulations. You made it. You did went a lot off, of running, and then you got to yeah, a lot of running. That's what that sport is. Yeah. Just kind of chasing a ball, and then you went off to all these European countries as a young man. But when you, when you get there drinking is available at a younger age right 100 as soon as i got off the plane at 16 uh your first thing is you're going out to the pub with uh the team yeah yeah at what 16. was that like like that's <laughs> you just go insane like or yeah what? i mean i think you know well I, I also let me qualify this in the sense that like or i should say quantify this and that my parents being of italian culture um i started being exposed to alcohol probably at like 10 or 11 anyways Right. Right, they weren't like, you know, pouring me full glasses of wine and or saying, hey, Justin, you want to, you know, uh, but it's an introduction. I feel like, you know, frankly, there's a lot of things we do in this country that I think are backwards and wrong, just like you listed with the whole soccer situation. That seems backwards and wrong. And I think also we have a backwards approach to alcohol. We don't we we should uh, expose, you know, our children to it at an earlier age so that they don't have this, uh, you know, this well, like, de- freak de- out. Mystify uh, I'm going to go crazy when I yeah, turn 21 right. because, you know, or, you know, maybe 18 because I'm hiding it or whatever. But like when I'm 21, it's on, right? We're going out and getting just shit canned. Oh, yeah. We're going to be thrown up in the bathroom and, you know, just 21 you shots in 21 hours or 20, whatever <laughs> the mean, fucking thing is. All you have to do is go to an American university during what they call like, uh, uh, the first school. two weeks of school, like pledge rushing and sure. return, oh, and you will be exposed to the most unhealthy yeah. ways of not only just drinking, but how how unhealthy it is to have eighteen and seventeen year olds who've never been away from their families, never been away from their parents, all of a sudden thrust into positions where they have no oversight, yeah. no authority, and and people are literally demanding that they consume as much alcohol as possible in order to get in into an organization. Time, yeah. Of which you again gonna have to pay to be part of, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas when in in European countries, you know, when kids hit the legal age, they're just like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, like, I yeah, mean, I'm already exposed to this. It's I fine. would say I, I didn't really like come out like, you know, when I when I had the opportunity at 16 to start drinking, you know, I, I as any I think 16 year old does uh, or any teenager does when given the first opportunity to do something where their parents aren't around and there's really no like you know, parental authority around, you tend to kind of overindulge. Yeah, you're, I, you're looking for the limits. Yeah. Let's, let's push them. De- and I definitely overindulge when I, you know, the first the first year easily of being abroad, not having any real oversight, um, you know, drinking was part of the football culture, especially in England at the time. So, you know, I definitely saw that as a way to bond with my teammates, but bond with the senior players. And, um, it definitely impacted me in a way that probably was both good and bad. But you know, yeah, you you kind of start in an early age, and I think it's better to make mistakes at sixteen than it is making mistakes at eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Oh yeah, because yes, you can be tried sure. as a minor, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> but I also think you you know I think you can retain the lessons at a better at a younger age, and you go, all right, you know, as I get older, I've I've now know I can get away with this, I can't get away with sure. this, and. Um, you know, well, I feel like if when I'm younger, I can learn. Oh, I, that singed me. I'm not going to touch that that much. Whereas yeah. when I'm older, I got to get burned. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 16 when you come from the U.S. When like at the time, if you remember, like we really didn't have high gravity beer in this country until right. like the mid to you know late 90s, early 2000s, and um, so even that adapting to the, the the strength of the beer compared to like Budweiser over here or Bud Light, you know, was a was a learning curve because they drink heavy especially at this time in the mid 90s like you know 96 97 98 is when i moved over um they're drinking like stouts they're drinking porters they're drinking heavy like brown ales that are like you know eight nine ten percent and you're like trying yeah, to keep up like with drinking these, soup yeah and you're trying to keep up with these guys because you know not only am i 
American, so I have to stand up for the entire country of America. Sure. But you're the, you're also, the representative. Yeah, <laughs> the, the wrong representative at the time. I don't think <clears throat> can tell you that much. But, uh, you know, you're representing your country, and you're also you're trying to, you know, as any, I think, adolescent does, try to show that they can hold their own with an adult. And, you know, you, you have some dark nights or some yeah. nights where you're spending on the, the bathroom floor. Some really rough mornings and, and, and then having to go out and run, <laughs> yeah, well, run was, around all day and chase yeah, a ball. That was always fun. Well, at least yeah. you sweat it out. Yeah. All right. Uh, listen, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about more bar stuff with Justin Noel. Uh, stay tuned. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in Northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. And we're back uh, on the Speakeasy, hanging out with Justin Noel in the, in the studio today. Um, yeah, that gala is going to be great. I'm so excited, man. On, on the 11th, yeah. yeah. Um, I've been for the last three years in a row. Sadly, this year, I cannot go. But you're going go to go in my stead and make drinks, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When's the gala? November 11th. Oh, yeah. It's Portland Cocktail Week. That's where I'll be. I will be there as well. <clears throat> yeah. I'll be here schmoozing and boozing. Yeah. Nice. What I've been training my whole life for. Speaking of training, by the way, uh, we were talking about this a little bit during the break, but uh, you as an athlete, you know, obviously are familiar with, you know, a certain level of, you know, training your body, training your mind, living kind of like a, maybe not the most balanced lifestyle as a 16 year old, but certainly kind of like trying to find that, like, how do I get the most out of this, you know, out of, out of my body while also kind of like, you know, keeping my mind sharp and clearly having some fun right which is something that our industry has kind of come around to recently like in the last two or three years and frankly it's overdue there's been a big shift towards like you know staying healthy like make sure you stretch before your shift Mm -hmm. like how to you know maintain a healthy lifestyle in this industry that can be pretty punishing physically like i don't know so you've kind of are maybe a little bit ahead of the curve maybe not i don't know yeah, I mean, I definitely could tell you when I when I first moved back to New York in 2008, I kind of, and I, and I was talking about this off air with you guys, I definitely probably didn't take advantage of, of my skill set in a way to kind of maybe provide for my staffs or kind of lead them by example. Definitely was more about, I think at the time, really kind of just trying to get our occupation to a level of credibility that I that I wanted, you know, us to all profit from so that people looked at us as like, you know, you're on the same level as people in IT and, you know, this is a real occupation and it's not some just in between thing um, where, you know, now that I think we've kind of set the, the, the foundation for that, to, for this to be a real, you know, occupation where you can do this for, you know, your entire life if you want to. Um, I think now we're seeing, all right, well, we need to also then, if we want to do this successfully long term, we have to start thinking about how this impacts our body, right? Yeah. And I wish I had been better at leading that uh, in the beginning because I also have some amazing partners 
in, in throughout my career. Uh, Tim Cooper, who I own Sweetwater with, uh, big into boxing, played basketball. Um, Willie Shine, who was part of uh, who owned Contemporary Cocktails, that I used to work with, also athlete. So I was always surrounded big surfer. by yeah, big surfer. I'm always watching his Instagram. He's always on the beach. Yeah, and you know, and we we kind of always surrounded ourselves with athlete bartenders. And we, as a self, as our as our little night, you know, close knit group, we would do activities together and be athletic. And but I don't think we kind of realized, you know, how to take that and then provide a platform to to younger bartenders or to turn it into something that would help bartenders in our community. I think it was just something that innately we did because we liked playing around and doing sports together. But then, as to your point, like. I don't know if we were ahead of the curve. We just honestly were just athletes who bartended and enjoyed doing athletic endeavors. But now, to your point, yeah, it's definitely something that I've seen, um, and I and I've been happy to see even more so now with like uh, what has transpired with the tales of the cocktail foundation. For sure, um, yeah. they're really kind of championing um, these initiatives and and really kind of bringing in some people who uh, who live in the space and work in the space who are from our industry and really giving them the platform to promote these uh, these ideas. I mean, I remember, I don't even know if you remember this, Alec, uh, Southern, but like I remember Alex Day doing a seminar, uh, I want to say like maybe five, six years ago about like shaking and how like shaking with the cold draft ice that we were using and the big block ice at the time. It was very jarring. It was jarring <laughs> yeah. and it's giving us tennis elbow. And he had, I think he brought in a yoga instructor or somebody to help kind of like showcase why you need to change your 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 shake every couple years and what the benefits of that are and that i think kind of was really the first seedings of like all right health needs to become part of this conversation and at that time it was very minimal but i think it had more to do with like how we stand behind the bar and those things you know and how we shake and you know going from cheap shitty ice the hotel ice to to the ice that we use now is it's it's in 100 now you're shaking weights essentially every yeah. night you're behind the bar <laughs> Uh, we should have owned shake weight as a thing. Yeah, you know, right. Our industry would be all retired by now if we could have done that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of really the seedings. And then, you know, you need you need the groups of people like the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation and BCB and these other ones. Cocktail Week and all of them yeah. are now like, promoting I, think, it, I yeah. think I don't think there's a single um, bar show or uh, that I've been to within the recent years that doesn't have at least a component of wellness. Um, you yeah. know, like a, a yoga in the morning or a bike ride in the evening or even a, a fun run or something, something to keep people moving and not necessarily drinking. Yeah. And I think a lot <clears throat> of that has to do with the fact that you've just got a group of bartenders who we are now in our mid to late thirties, early forties. And for the most part, we started breaking down and we started breaking down. We are breaking down. And, and it was really kind of one of those things where we said, all right, if we're going to continue to do this, how do we how do we make the changes the right way? And, and, and both proactive and preventive, yeah. right? And, and you have a younger generation who are looking at, uh, who are very into yoga and very into, I kind of would say expressing themselves and, and their feelings. And, and I think that's really helped. I think that's also helped us like have the conversation. Cause I, I will honestly say, I think uh, a lot of the time, uh, some of us who are, like I said, in our late thirties, early forties now, probably dealt with it ourselves. And so you just like, if you need to get in shape, you went to the gym and got, if you in, shape, get, yeah. you got in shape. It was less of a like, Hey, let's as bartenders, let's all go like, uh, do this yoga class on Sunday. Right, and, let's pool our resources. Let's do it together. It creates some accountability, et cetera. Right. Um, but those things are, uh, you know, come and go as trends and hopefully wellness won't be one that goes away. Uh, and I think that we're on the, on the cusp of more wellness, um, advocacy right now because lots of more low ABV cocktails are coming into play. And, and now you're actually working for a brand that's no ABV. Yeah. Yeah. I made the shift, uh, to, uh, non-alcoholic, uh, mixers. Uh, it's been really fun. Um, but it's also, you know, I think the, you know, again, when we kind of talk about our industry, we always talk about the trends and the evolution and where we see things going. And, you know, I kind of always like to equate uh, premium mixers to uh, kind of really that, you know, when you look at cocktails, we kind of we started with the classics. Then we talked about craft spirits and then seasonality and then using fresh ingredients and then ice and glassware. And I feel like all that stuff just this is the next kind of part of that math equation that we need to kind of start thinking about is. All right, if we're going to do all this fancy stuff, why are you going to top it with something out of the gun that has a lot of sugar and a lot of like exactly. calories? And and reality is that it's not a better product for you as a person, but also for your customers and your guests. And you know, while I'm not necessarily trying to champion the low ABV world, I think this helps in terms of like uh, providing a product out there that uh, allows people who want to go down the low ABV and no ABV world 
uh, just a better product than some of the ones that are out there. And, you know, I'm not going to say which ones are bad for you. That's for you to figure out. But, um, but at least you have you, you can stand behind what you're doing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> London Essence is all natural. Yeah, we're all natural all... ingredients. We're, tr- you know, we're trying to make things that are very low in sugar, very low in calories. And again, we're not trying to do that to be super, super health focused and, and kind of pushing that agenda. We really just want to make a better product. Because in, in the end of the day, like, you know, to me, uh, and you know, you and I have had these conversations as well, so they're about just the experience. You know, I find that we're in the experience business more than we are in like the drinks business. I mean, For sure. What we do is to provide experiences every day to the people who come into our, our, our establishments or come to our events or come to things like this. And, and, you know, if you can just give people a better experience, I tend to find that they just enjoy themselves and, I, you know, have they, they leave happy. They have a better day. They have a better and, day tomorrow. Yeah, and then they come back. And then I feel like the better experience you give, you retain your customers you, you know, at, at your bars. Uh, you retain brand loyalty for people who like certain products. So, yeah, I think for me, this is just an extension of the the, the experience business. And, you know, I, I kind of see that that's what's happening now with the low ABV, zero ABV trends that are happening. Yeah, so. it's coming out of nowhere. You know, uh, Philip Duff said at a, at a lecture I saw him do uh, uh, in Kiev, of all places, at, at Barometer, he said uh, on stage, uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> and what he was talking about was low ABV. And he said, not 15 years ago, people would say, give me your biggest, tallest glass of booze, but make it taste not like booze. Right. And now they're saying, I want something that has no booze in it, but that does taste like booze. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we are a funny group of people <clears throat> as humans, right? <laughs> uh, which is, you know, uh, brilliant to even, like, see that from a distance and, and recognize it. Like, uh, it, I'm it's, still trying it's to incredible. wrap my head around it now. I'm like, whoa. There are whiskeys out there. There are non-alcoholic whiskeys out there that taste like whiskey. Right. When, again, 15 years ago, people would say, give me whiskey, but I don't want it to taste like whiskey. Well, now you're seeing, <laughs> I mean, you know. Or whatever. You, you go know. to these bar shows now. I mean, BCB, I think, had three non-alcoholic distilled uh brands they had uh, they had us they had seedlip and then they had another one that starts with an s not seedlip that um did not go non-alcoholic distilled spirits yeah there's and, ritual uh, out of chicago i yeah. think there's there's like several yeah and it, 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 it's interesting because you know there are it is i think in its infancy you know so you're going through that kind of you know we were talking about before off air about being first to market there's there's the good things about it, the bad things about it <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i think you know we're seeing with the non-alcoholic distilled stuff um that there is room to for growth and, and maybe development. Um, some good stuff out there. There's some stuff out there that I'm again. I'm not going to call anybody out. There's some stuff out there that I'm not particularly like. I mean, know, I haven't tried into. enough of them to have an opinion. Yeah. To be honest, I still, <clears throat> as Greg just said, it's still it's still a difficult thing for me to wrap my mind around. Same. I mean, have you been to the? Uh, there's a bar not too far from here uh, in Greenpoint that is Getaway. Yeah, the yeah. Getaway non-alcoholic a non-alcoholic bar, bar. Yeah. You know, I think I think. You and I and, and Greg probably here. Like I think we're. My mind just says that's a room with right. with stools in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you know, not for nothing, I've I've been to some of these places and it's you know I, I in my head and before I went in there and I'll be honest, like I had some biases. I, I I thought of them as almost like coffee shops. Sure. You know I was like, oh, you know, you go to a coffee shop because they have coffee and they're the baristas back there make some cocktails with their you know drinks with their with their coffee or 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 non-alcoholic drinks and you're like all right you know y'all sit on my computer and you know it's kind of like a communal space situation but uh yeah you go to these bars that have non-alcoholic and they're they're a bar they're they look like a bar they feel like a bar and they're just serving non-alcoholic drinks and uh i don't know if that's the future by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I don't, I don't think it's the future, but I think it's, I, I honestly feel like I tried not to get too preachy on this show, but I feel like it it is something that we kind of have as we've made drinking culture, such a big thing as we've kind of pushed, you know, this, the, the golden age of cocktails and the cocktail revolution out there into like the wider stratosphere to the point where, you know, people take it seriously as a profession. If you're a bartender now, like I think there is, we kind of have a duty to create that space. Like we've made drinking so cool that we have to like, because you know, people, different people react differently to alcohol. We have to create a space where not drinking is cool. Too. No. And I, and I, I 100% agree. And I do seminars with London essence, uh, with USPG chapters where I talk about the importance of slow and no, uh, and low ABV, um, as a, as a, as a functionality within your bar. You know, not from a health perspective, because I'm not a health professional, but really from like, why is it good for your bar to think about these things? Why is it good for you to kind of like invest the time and resources into putting that 
space, as you said, on a menu. And uh, also understanding that some of our actions in the past probably predicated not only bad drinking cultures in certain establishments, but also like short-sightedness in the sense that like, you know, from a financials perspective, probably not the best thing to do that every time a customer walks in the door, start them off with a shot. If you really think about like how people drink and there's all types of metrics and health stuff studies done on this, you know, you're loading them up with alcohol in the beginning. They're probably not going to be in your establishment very long spending money versus somebody who's having a, enjoyable sessionable cocktail whether it's a low abv option a no abv option or even just a well-crafted drink that's just you know on alcohol is like lower in volume than like your traditional manhattans you're gonna have retention of that customer in your space a longer time which hopefully means more money spent which hopefully as you as the bartender means more tip percentage for you um and i think sure and you ingratiate yourself into them and have them show them a good time so they're gonna come back and do it again i think of drinks and drink. I was a chef for twelve years, and so that lingers in my life a lot. So I think of food and drink and how they relate to one another all the time. And for me, <clears throat> if I'm going to have a session, right? If I'm going somewhere and I know I'm going to be there for a while, then I'm going to have, you know, an hors d'oeuvre and then an appetizer and then maybe a salad and then a first course and then maybe a second course and possibly dessert, right? Well, that's the same. I'm, I'm, if I'm going to arrive and I know that I'm going to an event that starts at noon and doesn't end until midnight, my first drink is not going to be that Manhattan or that old fashioned. Right. Yeah. My first drink is going to be. How about a bitters and soda? <laughs> That's my hors d'oeuvre. You're not starting out with the steak right away. <laughs> then I might and have followed up with a steak. Then I might have an americano. Steak. Then I might have you know uh, a beer in there somewhere to just pump the brakes. Then I might have you know a daiquiri. Then we climb the ladder, right. and then hopefully by the end of the, the event, I'm still lucid, but I've had a good time, uh, and and you know just as I would at a meal. And I think that it's unfortunate but true. We don't necessarily think of that. In America, anyway, you know, like I feel like happy hour in America is as much as I can drink for half price, so so twice as much for half the price, right? Because uh, uh, we like value as fast as I can. Yeah. Well, we like, <clears throat> Whereas, we like, like in, in in Italy, it's aperitif hour, and it's like three hours long, and it's low ABV, something always kind of bubbly. There's always a snack involved to keep you in check, mm-hmm. and then you go to dinner afterwards. Like here, I feel like you you go to that happy hour, you crank it up to eleven. You go home and cook up a box of, you know, the blue box of macaroni and cheese and you pass out and you, <laughs> well, you go was, to work in the morning and start over, right? That was one of the things that I learned also, you know, from my time overseas was that happy over happy hour in, in Europe tends to not be more, no more than a couple hours. Whereas in this country, like you can do, I mean, there's happy hours that are all day, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, Sunday there's, all day happy yeah, hour. There's happy hours that start at from like noon till five and then they do another happy hour at like 8 p.m. To, so you really only have three hours that you're doing like the full price. Normal zero. Yeah. So I think, you know, in this, cult- in this culture, we're not the only ones because there's obviously other cultures that do this as well. But like we definitely are all about like, you know. Hey, can I get it cheap? Can I get a lot for it? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're all about value. I want as as much as I can for as low price as possible to then kind of be intoxicated for. for I mean, the rest my, of the my day, best apparently. friend, my best friend. Uh, I'm going to call you out, Todd. My best friend, Todd. He um, <laughs> he he's a professor at NYU, local college here in, in New York. Um, but when he was a grad student, uh, I remember very clearly we lived near Barcade. And Barcade has this. It's a beer bar that serves uh, all spot. kinds of craft beers, and they have an arcade in there, of uh, vintage arcade games. And they have a huge chalkboard where they change the beers, and they write not only do they write the beer, they write its ABV, they write the size of the glass and the price. And Todd is a whiz with math, and he would literally stand there and scan the board and be like, "That's the best beer for the buck," because I'm on a budget because I'm in grad school. And he would order beer based on cost, size, and ABV, knowing that he could get as quote unquote drunk or buzzed as he wanted to get with the cheapest dollar. That's how we. That's how I think the American thinks. Oh, I don't disagree with you, and you know. The cool thing about what I have seen with this, thanks, Todd. <laughs> there's there's so many Todds out there. We want to, <clears throat> yeah. Um, but uh, the cool thing that I, I see with like this, and again, I don't want to say it's a trend. Hopefully, it's a it's a thing that we just become more cognizant of. Yeah, just um, incorporated into yeah, the system. Is you know, I think in, in in you guys are bartenders, and you both probably have seen this uh, evolution as well. Is that you know, for the most of the bars that I've been to, and even I'm guilty in the bars that I worked in, in the past, um, I kind of looked at non-alcoholic and low ABV cocktails is almost like a, a, not only a secondary thought, but like so far down my priority list of things I needed to think about that I never really developed them properly. So then when they were on, I'm a guilty menu, of the same. Yeah. When they were on a menu, it was a massive afterthought. Mm-hmm. They weren't very good. Yep. They were just juices thrown together really to kind of appease 
what I assumed was the small mass of people who I'd have to make this drink for. And, and really, and, and you just were touching upon that, uh, you know, people, there's so many different reasons why people don't drink these days or, 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 or looking to have much more of a sessionable night um, yeah. that I would love to see really with bartenders is, is take this as an opportunity to be super innovative and kind of look at the low ABV world and the no ABV world as kind of the same thing that we did with like our, our, embracing of the classic cocktails and and the you know the seasonality and we got super creative and all of a sudden you had drinks that were like 10 touch point cocktails and obviously i think we've gotten past that element but i'd like to see the bar world kind of embrace this as an opportunity to kind of create some really cool stuff and look at the low abv and no abv world as an opportunity versus a burden or something you have to react to and hopefully yeah. if we do that i think you just you know, we touched about it earlier. I think we just give better experiences to everybody who comes through our door. Yeah. And we can have fun doing it too, right? Like, uh, like we've had fun for, for decades now, you and I anyway, uh, uh, making drinks and, and, you know, mixing alcoholic things together to make something that's, you know, a sum of a bunch of different things that I like mixed together to make a new thing that I like. Yeah. Right? We can do the same thing with non-alcoholic. And I think yeah. that's... Well, I think, you know, we, we're, we're <clears throat> a, a culture of bartenders who like innovation, right? And let's also be honest, like, I don't think there's going to be a new like spirit that comes around anytime soon that's just going to like blow our minds and change the way we perceive things. Um, but if it does, great. That's awesome, right? It gives us a new. It's coming. I, <laughs> I, if that's it, perfect. You know, it's there's coming. so many cool things out there. Especially if you go to like South America and you go stumble around, stumble upon some of the local distilled stuff they make. It's great. But again, like I think is an innovative culture uh, of bartenders, especially in this country and 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 Europe. You know, I think it's just something that gives us uh, more ammunition in our arsenal to kind of like play around with. Well, and like I I lived with vegans for a while, and I still to this day love cooking vegan i'm not vegan i eat everything but there's something fun about like cooking with one hand tied behind your back almost and it makes you appreciate the ingredients there more like you know if i'm did you actually try to cook with one hand behind your back because i would i would pay to see that yes uh only only the time that i burned my hand really horribly and it was out of commission for a while um not singed burned but yeah, it's like, you know, and if you're making a dish with like, if you're making like a big like Italian thing and you're throwing like all this sausage in there and like, you know, tons of garlic and all this other crap, like if you're cooking with that and the recipe calls for mushroom, at a certain point with all that other stuff in there, a mushroom is a mushroom is a mushroom. But if you cut everything else out of there out, you have to really focus on the individual mushrooms that you're using. It's kind of the same with, yeah. it's you're like you were saying, it's another avenue for innovation. Yeah. Just and don't try and mix drinks with one hand behind your back. Yeah. Could get sloppy. Well, yeah, but it could be fun, right? I think uh, we, we wanted to talk about this a little bit too, right? Bartending, what you said to me off the, off the air, you said, let's bring fun back into bartending. What do you mean by that? Do you not have fun anymore? Um, do you think it's not the same fun? It's not the, you know, it's not the same, and I don't want to take this into a political conversation because I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, you know, there's these things that are popping up, and it kind of like has, has created this political uh, social warrior thing in our bar oh, community. Sure. Well, in all communities, but yeah. I feel like we're so close knit. It really, of course, because we're lot. all friends with each other on social media, which which is good and bad at the same time, right? Yep, agreed. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think the thing that kind of that I see happening now, and and, and I could be wrong. Uh, I travel a lot to a lot of different cities, and I go to a lot of bars, so I get to see from a from a U.S. perspective uh, the example I'm making. But I really feel like we've kind of like. We've gotten really serious about our occupation, which I think is fantastic. And I think we really invested a lot of time and effort into trying to make others feel like they see us as as equals in, in the occupation we have. But I just kind of feel like a lot of bars nowadays are missing that one element of like, and I don't want to say personality, but just the idea of, of fun behind a bar. You know, I think there's several of us who came from bartending at the young age of 18 and up who kind of had to work in nightclubs and sports bars and everything and you kind of like take that amalgamation of experiences and and you are who you are when you are behind the bar i think we just don't have right now a lot of generation of bartenders who i feel like have spent a lot of time working in other establishments so that when you do go into their establishment you're only getting i think a little bit of like their what they could be right so when you go into a bar and i feel like everything is kind of trying to be a cocktail bar these days uh, and, and and I think a lot of cities are dependent on what you can do with the the, the build out and the cost. And I, I understand all those things as, as somebody who owns a bar. You know, you can't make every spot feel like 
Applebee's, right? You can't, not that that's a fun <laughs> bar, but you know, you can't do that in every establishment because you've got costs and whatnot. But I just feel like there's an element of fun where you would go to see a certain person at a bar and you knew you were just going to have a good time. There was a long period of time where we said, I don't even know if I'll have a good drink at that place, but I go there. Yeah. But now you I can remember those bars. Yeah. Right. I still now go you, to a few yeah. of them. And now we say like, oh, I, I, I can tell you where to go to get a great cocktail, get a great, and that's great. Like that's what we want in this industry. And that's awesome. But I, I, I kind of find in, in a lot of cities and, and New York has, has a lot of these establishments where it's like, you can go there and get a great cocktail, but I don't know if it's this, are you going to have a great time right. that I can't really vouch for. And I, <clears> I think that's where, you know, I think as we evolve, in, in this world and especially like with all the bar bar convents and, and um, you know, tales of the cocktail and all these cocktail weeks, you know, I look at all these seminars that are coming out there and not one of them really kind of takes the idea of like, how do we bring more fun into our, our behind the bar personalities, you know, and, and creating spaces in bars where it's, yeah, you can still get a great cocktail. You can still get a great bite to eat, but then you're also going to have a great time. And, I think that the bars that we go to, I think that if you add them all up, the ones that we would say are both fun, great drinks, great experience is, is a smaller slice of the pie than what which, it probably uh, used to Which be. we're already talking about a small slice of the pie, right? We, already, right. we all know that we're like the 1% of bars, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about even smaller than that. <clears throat> what are you doing at uh, Sweetwater to co- sort of generate that kind of culture among your team? So, you know, one of the things that we try to identify, you know, Tim and I specifically, is we we kind of lean heavily more on trying to find people who are just personable, right? Like, I know that's an easy thing to say because not everybody can find personalities um, when they walk through the door when they're hiring. But we really try to find people who are personable. And then we say, look, we want you to shine as an individual. We'll give you the tools and skill set to bartend, you know, even if we have to train you and break you down to bartend. But, like... We want you to take that personality that you have and, and put that on display and really kind of say, you know, let's, let's do things that we try to make sure that we, we have um, activities in our bar. And again, not every bar wants or should have activities, but we try to implement with some games. Uh, we obviously have entertainment. And, and Tim and I also are very big into music. We feel that yeah. music is a real big way to kind of establish an atmosphere. So we try to shy away from like, depressing music yeah <laughs> we shy, shy away from like the smiths and you know things that were big in like the 80s and 90s that were like kind of like uh emo and a lot of uh goth type we very much into like funk old school hip-hop sure you know, things tempo, that are up, it's gonna yeah. get people's head bombing you know, nothing nothing we try to stay away from a lot of top 40 stuff um because again we're not trying to be poppy we're not trying to we, and then we, we stay away from like heavy like r&b which we, we want to create an atmosphere where, like people if they're in their late fifties to their early twenties, a song comes on that they recognize sure. and they have a good time. And, and like I said, with us, our staff specifically, we try to make sure that the bartenders and servers are personable. And if they're not, we're more likely to have a sit down with them than we would if they just are making a drink wrong all the time. Right. You know, we'll, we'll correct them on their technique. We'll make sure that they understand, Hey, you gotta make this drink right. But like, if they're just not personable, then it's usually because either something we're doing behind the bar uh, as owners or the environment is just not conducive for their personality so that they don't feel they can let it shine. And I feel like that's kind of what I'm seeing in a lot of places. I see a lot of bartenders who have really good technique and really good skill working in bars, but maybe the bar is a little too confined in terms of letting their personality be gotcha. be out and about. You have know, you ever so. have you ever had opportunity to go to Nickel City, Travis Tober's place? That is an amazing bar. I think I uh, haven't been Travis there. Is, I haven't been uh, there, but I know that the the, the deal is yeah. pretty much they, they try and make sure that every single person gets either a handshake or a high five before they leave. Right? Yep. Like when you come in the door, you might get a handshake, but by the time you leave, you might get a high five. And, like and they just want to touch and every single person's experience there, right. which is amazing. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, right? I mean, like, I think there's a, and again, like, it's not like a, a corporate perfect, dictum. It's just sort of like, this is our style. Yeah, I, think, and and I think I would, I would say to most bartenders out there who are thinking about opening and owning a bar, don't go and copy Nickel City, you know, but go, go see it. Yeah. Go see what he's doing and, and go see. And there's other places. I mean, I think again, it's, there's, we have those places. We have some spots here in New York. We have places in Miami, uh, Austin, San Francisco. I mean, Trick Dog in San Francisco, sure. you know, when you walked in that spot, um, those guys are very personal. Um, you know, Josh and his team, the guys at ABV have done the same thing. But again, you know, you try to look at the the overall bar community. And again, we're still talking about a small amount of those bars. And I, I just hope that we try to 
when we're doing these bar designs and these bar menus and all this education that we talk about and you see these trends that are happening, I'd like for us to maybe start talking more about like, how do we, how do we make this fun as well? You know? Yeah. Well, that's a good place to end. It's really been a great conversation having you in the studio with us today. Um, if anybody wanted to reach out to you and talk about London Essence or Sweetwater Social or your travels around the world, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So, I mean, you can always just call me because I like being called in text. So yeah, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> definitely old school. Um, but, uh, you know, my Instagram uh, is, uh, you know, I have my personal one, which is JJNLLC15. Um, and then I also have London Essence at uh, Justin USA. Um, Follow me on Facebook at Justin Noel. And um, yeah, again, you know, my phone number is 770-833-7838. Bold. I did that. Yeah. Bold. I guarantee Damn. you I'm not going to get blown up. But <laughs> please text me. I always like answering texts, phone calls. You know, I again, you know, you, you put it out there. I travel so much that like really I spend a lot of time with my phone. So sure. if I get phone calls or texts, I'm usually there to answer it. And yeah, man, I like uh, I like taking photos of my, my travels and appreciate you guys. Uh, have me in here to talk about this man today. really great to have you and you know i'd be remiss if i didn't mention i'm feeling a little sick today i woke up with the uh, the beginnings of a cold and sitting here throughout the whole show sipping on some london essence ginger ale has been quite good for me and i appreciate yeah, well, it well i brought in some bitters because i figured you know with you you texted me saying you were sick i was like you know what let's bring in some some not my it's my version of a of, of, of bitters and club soda with uh lauren moat's uh bitter, bitter sling, sling from uh, canada yeah yeah she's got some great stuff um, well, I appreciate you bringing that stuff in as well. Um, well that's it for this week's Speakeasy. Uh, tune in next week for more, and we'll see you then. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. page. Thanks for listening. <laughs>